I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's WoeCast. As usual, I'm joined by my Cody. Gee, what's going on? Who you up to? Man, ain't nothing much. I'm ready to cluck about last night's fight card. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and you, both. you know what? Before we race ahead and talk about UFC 258, I think, you know, we both need to pat our... Um, Nostradamus asses on the back because Ooh. you and I last week we talked about what could possibly be afoot when Bellator were talking about we've got grand announcements that we're going to make we've got uh, an amazing schedule that we're going to unpack and every single thing that we raised okay nearly everything I mean um, we're, we're not that completely um, seeing the future but everything we that were we pretty damn upon, close Mike nailed. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean first off the whole light heavyweight tournament. Boom. In all fairness, I couldn't see a more compelling um, weight category for them to go with. Right. But again, we nailed it. What did you make of that? I mean, why wouldn't they? That's what they should be doing. They have some pretty awesome light heavyweights. You know what I mean? Like Phil Davis, mm. um, Vladimir, what's his name? The last name, the Russian guy that just smoked fucking Ryan Bader. Nemkov. There you go. You got him. You got Ryan Bader sniffing back at the top. I mean, they have an interesting, you know, weight class. So why not do a tournament? And then on top of it, Mike, yeah. did we not talk about Yoel and Anthony Johnson joining this club, man? Well, you nailed Ooh. that in terms of a matchup. So all praise due to you. You need your flowers. You need your recognition. I think, you know, if there was a trophy right now, I would hand it to you. Because not only was that the most... I would say um, compelling matchup to make. Again, you nailed it right there and then. Brilliant. It's what they should be doing. You have two stars mm. that fans are going to follow to any organization. You might as well exploit exploit them in a tournament and have have them fight each other right away. You know, I'm totally in agreement with it, and I love the fact that they sealed a deal with Showtime Network. So not only are now just for, are they doing that, Mike, from a UK on this platform? Go ahead, go ahead. From a UK perspective, what does that actually mean? Because in all honesty, when I heard Showtime, it was like it, there wasn't any kind of like big time registration power move. Unlike when they mentioned like, okay, it was seven several days later, but the partnership now with the BBC, BBC as you know, right. is a major broadcaster over here. What does Showtime mean from a UK perspective, or what should it mean to a UK audience? Man, it's it's a it's a. I'm like overwhelmed with this question because it's huge. Um, Showtime is basically another outlet, another cable channel in the United States, and it's an award-winning movie channel that is going to open so many eyes to U.S. viewers. You understand? Like this, oh, okay. this expands the eyes on the sport. This is huge. Mm. And not only does this expand eyes on the sport, again, they are exploiting the fact that they have two heavy, hard hitters from the UFC that are gonna bang right away. And then on top of it, they have this lightweight division that is perfect for this type of tournament style. So why not do it on a network channel that more people are gonna see? 
Ah. And Showtime is is where you do it and where it's at. So as you can tell, I'm excited. I have Showtime, and I can't wait to see like people that don't really watch MMA really start to get into this with this tournament. What I love about this the most is that it's almost as though we we have this conversation. You, you believe it or not. Um, on an ongoing basis they listened exactly to what the gripes were and they went about and fixed it oh you guys don't want a channel hop okay we'll give you one avenue oh you want compelling matchups okay we're going to give you that oh you want us to be regular oh we're going to give you that every well every Friday that's going to be our home not every single Friday but Friday is the staple place and Bellator Bellator. and they still keep like their little funky old school matchups just now on Showtime Mm. we're going to see Ryan Bader versus Machida again. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they still yeah, keep yeah. their Bellator flavor of like, you know what? We still have these old school matchups. We you didn't ask for, but we're going to give it to you and you're going to have fun. You know what I mean? So like and now it's on Showtime. So I'm definitely moved by this. I'm in, I'm excited. And Mike, plenty of people are going to watch this merely because of y'all and Anthony Johnson and then fall in love with the other mm. heavyweights that they're going to, you know, become familiar with like Nemkov and whatnot people are going to remember phil davis and his awkward style and whatnot so this is going to be pretty damn cool and we did nail this mike we did call this you know i just wanted to ask you if we were giving out report cards now albeit that it's only what february but if we were giving out report cards and bellator were in front of us how would we rate this because surely all of this that we're talking about should be done anyway so would you give this oh okay I'll, I'll i'll put it over to mm-hmm. you how would you rate this as um a move by bellator if you were to give it an a a b or a c what would this be i would give this an a i have no issue with the rollout of this from that conference to the showtime mm. contract to the fact that it's the light heavyweight tournament um, I like the fact that they're exploiting two former very popular UFC fighters and having them fight right away. There's no teasing, no mm-hmm. nothing. The matchup that we all crave is going to happen on Showtime. And then on top of that, they're throwing in their Pitbull versus Sanchez, and then they've got Bader versus Machida. I have no gripes with what they're doing over here at Bellator. Even though, Mike, you're kind of alluding to the fact like they should be doing this shit. You still gotta, give, <laughs> you still gotta give them props for doing it correctly. They could have, you know, they could have, for lack of a better word, fucked this up, and they didn't. Yeah, and the fact is, you see, I would give them an A plus. You're right. I am making it really clear that they should be doing this, but they have gone over and beyond. It's not every day that you can rock up to the BBC who have historically said cage fighting and it's just the terminology that they want to dole out to this cage fighting we're not interested mixed martial arts now has got a credible home it's got a one place destination but i suppose the key and most important thing here is that this is seen as a major coup a major broadcaster do you know how many people do you know how many times promoters managers conversations have taken place with the bbc and they've fallen flat i personally have had several conversations with the bbc around mixed martial arts content so i know how difficult it is and for bellator to pull this off definitely a plus material yeah yeah i'm I'm giving them props for this and and i'm telling you mike ufc fans are now going to watch bellator 
people that have never watched it before, everyone who complains mm. about Bellator is gonna watch this fight. You know, Anthony Johnson yeah. versus Yo. And I'm telling you, in the in the middle of just chasing those two former athletes from the UFC, they're gonna pick up on mm. Juan Archuleta. They're gonna pick up on other stars in, in Bellator. This is a good move. And then they threw it on a Showtime cable prominent award-winning network in the states. This is an A, maybe yeah, an A plus. Yeah. Maybe I'm I'm too light on on Bellator. Maybe an A plus. This is gonna be cool. I like it. It's gonna be huge. Yeah, yeah. definite power move. Yeah. Just before we segue into UFC two five eight, um, I just wanted to ask you one thing. Mm-hmm. During the um, Shots Fired podcast, you raised a really good and topical issue around Gina Carano, but. Things have actually moved on a pace in terms of what's actually happening with her, in terms of people's reactions. I just wanted to get your take on what Dana White said specifically about Ariel Hawani's reaction to this. And it was words to the effect of, uh, what a douche, he's making this more about himself. What was your reaction when you you heard that from Dana White, given what um, Gina Carano had said and the fact that he seemingly was giving her a pass? You all need to leave Gina Carano uh, alone. Again, that being the sentiment. Uh, what what I make of, of this that? is that I missed all this shit. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, right. Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let, let me unpack it then. In a scrum, um, it was prior to mm-hmm. UFC 258, Dana White was was asked about Gina Carano oh and boy. what his thoughts were on the whole um, firing mm-hmm. from Disney+. Plus. And, um, you know, he basically said, look, you all need to give Gina Carano a break. Um, people do mess up and, um, you know, you, we can't go around cancelling oh, people. That was the sentiment. But you also added in, and it was another dig, which I personally didn't feel needed to be there. I thought it was very personal and I thought it was very childish. He basically said, Ariel Hawani, yeah, I, I, I saw what he said and uh, what a douche. Imagine making this about yourself because in it, in Ariel's response, he was asked specifically, you know, as a Jewish person, what he thought of what unfolded with Gina Carano and her comments. So obviously, he'd give his perspective um, being somebody um, who is Jewish. So Dana seizing on that, hearing that, turned it around and said, you know, imagine this douche making it about himself. Or words to that effect. He did use the word douche and he did use the fact that um, Ari Hawani, um, in his eyes, made it about him. I think if we had more aggressive MMA media, they would uh, uh, attack him for that. I think he was borderline Mm. on the same lines as Gina Serrano's comments. You know, like, you're pushing it, Dana, with the whole making this about himself. That is a Jewish man that should have an opinion about anti-Semite you know, post that Gina Serrano is basically making, you know, and people are going to say that I'm exaggerating a bit, but no, it is rude to kind of compare yourself to what Jewish people have been through in the Holocaust. So for Dana to kind of downplay that and also to point the finger and say, Ariel is making this about himself and insinuating because he's Jewish, that's not a good look. And I think Dana's just so used to being out there and being brash and not being challenged that he can tote these lines. And I think that's a very dangerous line to tote. I mean, Gina Serrano made one comment about the Jews and she was removed quickly. But Mike, you also have to question too, what the fuck is cancel culture? She was fired and then two days later she got a new job with Ben Shapiro and the Daily Fail. So 
how was she really canceled? So why do we need to leave her alone? In fact, she was fired and rewarded by a different company. I don't believe that's canceling. It, this is insane that you know people on the far right like Dana just can sit here and make people like Gina Serrano victims when they're not. And in fact, they get rewarded in the end for their bullshit. So I don't know, Mike. You, you know, as, as you mm-hmm. were talking, I queued up his exact phrase because I don't want to get it wrong. So just so that you can have a full um, mm-hmm. earful of what he said, here is She's what he been said. In the news lately, and uh, I know the UFC's basically had more of a stance of letting the fighters speak their mind. I was, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. Leave Gina alone. You know, listen, we, we, so we, we, we make mistakes. We all make mistakes, you know, for, for everybody to go in on her. I love how Ariel Hawani made it all about him. It was all about him. Such a douche. But, yeah. What makes me kind of like wonder about what he said and it being unchecked mm. and just going back to your statement about you know the MMA media need to have yeah. some balls need to have some teeth I think is the word that you use what is the MMAJA doing the MMA, the Mixed Martial Arts uh, Journalists Association which everybody supposedly and that is everybody excluding myself but if you're um, from a mainstream outlet they're supposed to be signed up to this surely they should be rallying behind Ariel to say yeah. you know what no that's not cool that's not acceptable right, because- because what Dana did was that he invalidated Ariel's experience as a Jewish person. So basically he was just like, ah, it doesn't matter that this is about, you know, a Jew- this is a Jewish comment and Ariel is Jewish, just invalidate his experiences, whatever. I can- and he made it about himself. That's gaslighting. That's manipulating. Mm. That's manipulative. Of course a person of Jewish faith or descent is going to have an opinion about a comment that disrespects what they've been through in the Holocaust. And to do that, Dana invalidated him and I think he needs to be challenged for that he's toting a very controversial line to me you know so yeah like yeah, it's just I you mean. know he's so good at toting that line though like it's kind you can kind of see where I'm coming from where the, what he said was invalidating and offensive but at the same time kind of careful with it but I, I do think Ariel Helawani should have an opinion about that. He's from Jewish descent. Of course, he would be the person that would be most offended by what Gina Serrano said. So why invalidate his experience and his opinion about it? It was rude. (laughs) I think as well, I think as well, um, if I remember rightly, the reason why he gave the response that he did was that he was quite succinct to the point by the question that was raised, and that was, you know, as a Jewish person, as, as somebody who um, is from Jewish descent, I mean, right. what's your opinion on it? What's your take? And How do you feel I about mean, that? I mean, in my mind, that's the person we should be listen, listening to because that's the person that is deeply affected by these comments. I am not Jewish, so yes. it is, this was not yep. my struggle. I don't have any relatives that died in the Holocaust, or I don't, I don't share these stories. I'm just educated about it. So we need to listen to the people that Gina mm. Serrano has offended the people that understand and have been through and have descendants and family members that went through the Holocaust, area the people that we should be listening to, not invalidating. It's it's bizarre. Yeah, and and, yeah, and, it does, and, and I think when you invalidate 100%. him, it allows that victim narrative that you saw Dana start laying on her. Oh, we all make mistakes, you know, this, this, and that. But he paved the way yeah. by by in by yeah. invalidating Ariel, and I just think he should be challenged on that. Dana gonna Dana though. <laughs> I think as well. True. Yeah. 
Dana gonna gaslight? He did. He didn't. He didn't seem to be challenged on the notion that um, we should leave her alone. She was told yeah. several times by Disney yeah. Plus or those higher ups at Disney Plus. Look, you are gonna be warned. The type of commentary that you are giving right now is not the thing that's going to be becoming of somebody who works with us. Cut it out. But she persisted with it. So when Dana talks about leave her alone, we're not talking about a one-off How many mistakes does she make, Dana, when you you probably got pulled into an office and told to cool it, and then you just go home and go on Instagram Mm. and be like, yo, I feel like a Holocaust victim. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. When does the person who made a mistake, like Dana said, take accountability for the mistake Mm. and come out and apologize and be like, look, I made a mistake, this, this, and that, and then you move on. Instead, she builds an alliance with Ben Shapiro, and she makes this weird tweet like yeah this is how we, this is how you come back some shit and she's almost like she's mocking cancel culture instead of just being like maybe I should have just shut the fuck up when Disney pulled me into the office and told me to cool it yeah yeah didn't she didn't actually mention though that it's a subscription service and uh, it's hardly it's the, the heavy fail. and lofty uh, yes. heights of <laughs> yeah, yes. of, of uh, Disney plus plus um, she has secured uh, a lesser yeah. bag than she would have at Disney Plus, and there won't be any right. solo series again. I think it's embarrassing uh, to her. So you yeah. know, let's put it in context. Gina. I think it's embarrassing, Mike. Mm. To be honest with you, like when I saw her and Ben kind of roll this out, yeah. I was kind of like, you know, the gif of the guy that looks at somebody and then leans back in the car, like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this is embarrassing. You yeah. went from Disney to the Daily Fail, a publication that's beefing with the Markles right mm. now, and they're probably about to be snuffed out by the Markles. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this, these people are just <laughs> yeah. bottom of the bottom media publication. And then it's Ben fucking Shapiro, the corniest dude alive. And then on top mm. of it, he's the Jewish mm. guy that is supporting someone on the right that disrespected, um, you know, the Holocaust. What does that say about him? What does that say about y'all? Wow. Y'all look like two cruddy people mm. that got together to just make a point about cancel culture. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. It's a, it's a mess. Fade to obscurity, Gina, and enjoy your money, because that's what all it is, you know? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, without further delay, and um, I think it's only right, considering that UFC 258 is now in the books, to have a look at it. And Mm -hmm. if you ask me, just before we do our usual round table, um, you and I, on what prelims kind of, like, caught our attention... I've got to admit that this card didn't really do that much for me. It was low on star power, but that's not just it. It's what I saw unfolding on screen. It just made me think. No, not me. I love the main card. (laughs) I love the comeback (laughs) story. Julian Marquez. I loved Ricky Simon's performance. I love Macy Barber, Alexa Grasso. I got shit to say about that. I love the main event. And, of course, mm-hmm. the prelims were hit or miss. There were some, like, I didn't care for Gabriel Green versus Philip Rowe. I love that Philip Rowe was a Jamaican from Flatbush, Brooklyn. Big up. We need gunshots, Mike. I told you that last week when these Jamaicans fight. Thank you. Rewind <laughs> selector. I love that. But, you know, some fights were hit or miss. I want to talk shit about your boy Rodolfo. We're going to get into that. Yeah. Plenty to discuss, Mike. Get the oh, fuck out man. of here. Exactly. Plenty, plenty. Come on, Mike. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Okay, well, first up for me is mm. Pollyanna Vienna and um, Mallory Martin. Can I just ask, I'm mm-hmm. really curious about this 
Mallory Martin came in as the favourite. Me too. This, and I was baffled. We're talking about Pollyanna, I beat a mugger and made him cry and poo his pants, uh, Viana. And I thought to myself, don't people know the pedigree that, you know, Mallory Martin is facing? Why is it that people are so high on Mallory Martin? So what I saw, though, in terms of jits, in terms of transitions from mm-hmm. armbar to armbar, absolutely incredible work and I don't know how she held out you know maybe that's what people were attesting to her toughness Mallory Martin um, was or should be commended on how many times that you know she escaped and then you know found herself again yeah. you know, deeply yeah. entrenched but the fact of the matter is this that was an incredible incredible uh, display from uh, Pollyanna and I, I thought to myself I just wanted to ask you why was everybody so Mallory's hard? Mallory's a little fucking scrapper, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's tough. You know, she goes hard in the paint. Mm. Is she still learning? Is she still, you know, developing as a fighter? Absolutely. But she's tough as nails. She's yeah. just one of those types of fighters. So you don't sleep on Mallory. Pretty well-rounded. She's scruffy. You know what I'm saying? She's going to stay in your face, and she's going to fight with you. But when it came to the jits, we all know mm. who was better on the ground, and it showed right away, man. Did man. you know that this fight ended, what, in the first round, right? Pollyanna had five submission attempts yep. in one fucking round. That is unbelievable. <laughs> and, Mike, I'm telling you, you could see Pollyanna's confidence burst on the scene the moment Mallory caught that leg and Pollyanna pulled guard. Like, she was calm, cool, collective. She was slapping her face, yep. moving her hips, trying yep. to get into better positions. You could just see her thinking and, and just quietly putting the puzzle pieces together until she just went back and forth between the triangle and the arm bar, the triangle, the arm bar, mm-hmm. and then she finally gets mm-hmm. it done. But here's, I have one gripe with this fight, and I want to ask you, yeah, What's were you, you you were like Joe Rogan? You were fucking obsessed with the fact that Pollyanna beat the shit out of all, some some robber in Brazil. I thought Joe was losing it, and then here you are. The first thing out your motherfucking mouth is the fact that she beat up a, um, a robber in Brazil. Like I was like, there's so much more to talk about. Like he went overboard with that shit. What'd you think? I think the whole. Uh, narrative that Joe and the rest of the commentary team were pushing yesterday was hella weird. I mean, we're obviously going to get into it later, but there was that, and there was the, I think it was um, uh, uh, Pissed Off T-Wood who kind of made me laugh because this summed up Joe Rogan to a T. You got a fighter walking to the actual um, octagon and Joe Rogan shouting, he's in trouble, he's in trouble. <laughs> because at every given moment or any given moment, it was, she's in trouble, he's in trouble. And it was like, just calm no, down. he ain't Joe, just, just calm yourself. But as well as that, in terms of the narrative of the, of the commentary team, I don't know whether they're trying to bring in a lifestyle element I'm sick um, of in it. terms of commentary, in terms of narrative, but 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 the these two men are having yeah uh, baby mama having, drama having custody battles and one doesn't trouble, see like his child the other yeah, like seeing, I don't give a fuck children. and also can you can you also keep these men's <laughs> business to yourself John Anik yo John Anik lost it with that exactly. weird ass narrative yo the blogs blew up Mike people were like what the fuck is he talking about can he cover the fight and not the fucking paternity support warrant that might yeah. be out on these guys like what are you doing <laughs> my god and then Joe Rogan with the how many times are you gonna say the yeah. guy she beat up became a meme 
How many times are you going to discuss the fact that she mm-hmm. beat this guy up? I get it, but can we talk about her world-class jiu-jitsu and what the fuck she's doing right now with moving her hips and, and, and slapping this lady's face left and right to distract her to just to transition to these beautiful arm bars? And then, after the fight, what's the first thing that yeah. comes out of his mouth? Can you believe that you fucking beat up a homeless guy that tried to rob you? Like I was like, oh, Joe, enough. <laughs> just go blow your load in the bathroom and come back. Like Get over it and come back and be a, an analyst. Jesus yeah. Christ. Man, but seriously, what Gorgeous. an incredible performance. But how about you? What 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 Let uh what caught your see. eye? Um we talking prelims here or not? Let me grab my computer. Still prelims. Okay, let me let me let me t- Oh, mm-hmm. easy. Bilal Muhammad versus Diego Lima. I like this fight. I like this fight. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. From, yeah. the, from the opening bell to the final bell, Bilal Muhammad gave Diego Lima no room to breathe, and he suffocated him with the constant pressure and the threat of offense. You know what I mean? Like, Diego spent the majority of the fight backpedaling, his back against the cage, and because of the crisp boxing of Bilal, he worked the body nice, he was hitting the head, but those body shots were beautiful, and he always threatened with a takedown, Mike. Even though Douglas Lima, you could tell he worked on his a takedown defense, he still had to worry about it because Muhammad was still going for it and he only completed one takedown but he always had that threat going of taking him down and Diego knew it and Lima he has success with that front calf kick which by the way everybody's using Mike did you notice this is like the Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan did say it um, best that this has become weaponized this is like revolutionized the game you know like everyone is killing that front kick and Lima yeah, was getting yeah. success but he didn't know how to open up from it he didn't know what else to do with it outside of just kicking that front leg kick and Bilal was eating it and Bilal wasn't even you know you know struck by like he wasn't moving differently or anything <clears throat> like that and he just outstruck Lima he beat him up, he hit the body, and he had that great worker man performance that most Bilal Muhammad fans are aware of and they know. So I know his fans are really happy with his performance last night, but Mike, I like the call out. After he beat up Douglas Lima for those three rounds and earned that beautiful win, he called out Jing Li Lang, which makes sense, Mike. They're mm-hmm. close in the rankings yeah. and whatnot, and not- imagine the two of them fighting that'd be kind of dope because Jing Lang is unpredictable herky-jerky and then Muhammad is just going to try to work that guy to death great call out they have they have very very similar styles in terms of I think it was Joe Rogan who coined the, the phrase I got to give props where it's due due in that he weaponizes yes, pressure in terms of what he did last night he wasn't given Diego Anyone. Lima any room to breathe now i could see why you know diego lima was feeling a little bit well feeling himself slightly because those calf kicks they were getting through Mm -hmm. they buckled uh bilal and at certain points you know dropped him to the ground now i could see why you know that would be kind of like the game plan because just like um his brother that does seem to be kind of like a staple in terms of attacking mechanism as well and the fact is it was effective to a certain extent Uh, successful it was but Bilal would just eat them he would react you could see him like ouch but then he would just go right back to like I'm gonna switch stance and then just come at you this way or I'm gonna do this and hit the body like it just did not seem to affect his performance Mm. though but it was a good effective tool for Lima but it just was not enough 
And he looked a little bit over his head. It was a mm-hmm. dominant performance by um, Bilal. And, Mike, I think he should fight um, Jing Li Lao. But, however, Jing Li Lao has that, like, you know, that background. You know, he's got the Asian, you know, connection. He's, you know, the Chinese thing going on, man. The UFC might want to exploit him a bit yeah. more and not maybe have him fight Bilal, but maybe a bigger name. But the purest in me wants to see that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same? No, I, 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 I can't argue with that. Moving on, uh, time for me to eat crow, big time crow, because during the Shots Fired uh, <laughs> podcast and previously with yourself, I have bigged up Rodolfo Vieira. And when he faced Anthony Hernandez, I thought, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park. This is just a gimme fight. This is where you're going to see Jiu-Jitsu 101. It's going to just be a display That's what of it was supposed to be. Yeah. Of Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> and it's going to be a submission in the first round. Now, I have to say, there were some scary moments from the get-go. But once he got into his flow, once he got into his rhythm, I thought, ah, here we go. Hadolfo's going to mm-hmm. take that arm or he's going to choke him out. It's just, I, I thought when he got his back that, that it was over. But I thought to myself, what's going on here? And, and Joe, I, again, he was at um, 100 decibels <laughs> per minute. But he was screaming this. He was like, what is going on? Why is it that we're seeing this from Hadolfo Vieira? Now, I personally feel, looking at his mm-hmm. frame, looking at his physique, mm-hmm. looking at those muscles which does take a hell of a lot of oxygen to actually you know satiate and to keep going i think that's it he's just too big too jacked to be thinking he's going to be first of all going three rounds but you know where somebody took him into deep waters which anthony hernandez did um he's going to drown especially if he's got that and not only Mm -hmm. that I, i don't know why but he, he kind of was feeling himself with the striking last night. He is not uh, a striker. He is a multi-time winner yes. in terms of jiu-jitsu. But nah, his strong point is not on his feet. So why he was trying that and getting rocked at that, going to the second round, you know I thought why, he was going to fall over. But yeah, no, you've got, I've got plenty of crow to eat. And I mm. just thought of you so much during this fight. I was like, what, <laughs> what is going on I with bet you did. boy? And I wanted to at you, but I didn't know if you were going to watch this in the morning. <laughs> I didn't want to ruin it for you. So anyways, the Mm-mm. first round was so scary because he was doing exactly what I thought he was going to do, which was control this kid and go after submission attempt after submission attempt. And that's what happened. Yeah. But after they got up, bro, why did he die? Like he straight up got up and he was a fucking zombie and he was just such straight zombie status. And not only that, who told that man to stay and bang with that kid? And not only that, who told him to eat shots yeah. like that? Who told him to forget <laughs> to like tuck his chin, the base, yeah. like where was basic defensive shit bro like move back something like you don't just eat shots and just like oh i'm gonna wait until i get to throw a punch like this was insane and it just begs to show that he's Mm. grossly one-dimensional it's it's not just that like oh you know he was you know he had you know had no cardio yes that was obvious but something else is going on defensively and offensively like what were you thinking and then on top of it, you blow your load, and then he starts leaving his neck out. Anthony Hernandez starts like going for like submission attempts on him. Don't forget, um, Rodolfo had to throw himself on the ground to get out of a, a submission attempt from Anthony Hernandez. 
Like that submission was coming. Yeah. Yep. You understand? And then finally, when Anthony Hernandez, you know, um, jumped on Rodolfo's neck, finally, I feel like Rodolfo just needed a way out. He was too tired. He couldn't do it anymore. He was eating shots mm. on the feet and he went mm. for the easy way out. He was like, fuck it. I'm tired of rolling around with this dude. I'm just going to tap. And <laughs> I was very disappointed because I'm like thinking someone that's so rena- world renowned on the ground that was supposed to choke out this contender yep. series pup who in fact has a win-lose, win-lose, hot or cold record and is from the contender series. This was a fastball down the middle for him. So I wonder how he feels today being mm. one world renowned and getting choked out in the way he did for a fight that was made for him to do that to, to Anthony Hernandez. Woo, Mike. No doubt he's going to lick his wounds and come back. But, you know, I sense that there is going to be a a, a little bit of embarrassment um, when he has to, like, face face the music, really. Because I was shocked that, you know, he was choked out. I was shocked at... He was getting um, punched, too. (laughs) The game plan, when it wasn't actually going... Yeah, when it it wasn't going to to plan. That his corner weren't making the necessary adjustments. But I was just... I, I was just shocked how this unfolded full stop because I told people, look, bet your house, bet your mum's house on this. There is no way that Rodolfo Rivera or Vieira is going to come away from this. Um, the, we well, all thought that. I think and Rodolfo thought that. If anything, <laughs> it was supposed to be anything, like that. <laughs> yeah. It, if anything, I, I thought, oh, if, if, if there was a slim chance of him losing, it's just going to be right, by like some a knockout or TKO. I didn't right. Think that it would he be would some punch that lands out. flush and it just knocks out the the grappler dead out. Yeah. I did not expect someone from the contender series that has a hot and cold record and is still learning the game at the level that he is to choke out a world renowned jujitsu practitioner like this. And the fight was made for him to win. This was on purpose. He was he was mm. that kid was the underdog. Yep. And he was not supposed to win by submission. My God. Thoughts and prayers for Rodolfo, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Tell me about it. Now, we're just about to leave the prelims, unless there is another that you wanted to throw in there. I've thrown in my two. You've only thrown in one. No. Was, was there not another one? Or you yeah, let's hit the main card. Onto the main card now. Okay, so. Um, Mackie Patolo and uh, Julian Marquez. Um, third round submission. Love this. Um, up until that submission, I, I've got to admit, I I had it going, yeah. uh, Mackie Patolo. I, 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 I was shocked. I was shocked at this comeback. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I was what did shocked you make of this? that Mackie's game plan would be to wear Julian out and wrestle him. Because I know Mackie as a game mm. but technical yeah. striker that can mix things up. Don't get me wrong. He's scrappy. But he has technical forward offense. So when I saw that the game plan was to wear this man out, I wasn't mad at it. And then I was like, makes sense to me. You see how hard Julian uh, Marquez hits? Do you see how like he comes straight forward and yeah. he doesn't stop like some fucking ogre? And then on top of that, not only does he hit hard, mm-hmm. if you leave your neck out like we saw last night, he'll fucking choke you. And I love, he needs to thank yeah. his corner 
for what that his coach said to him at the at the end of like what was it the beginning of the third round or whatever right before the fight was about to end the the coach came out and told that man knock him out you can and I agreed with him I was like if he lands on him he can knock Maki out or if Maki keeps leaving his neck out man he needs to Mm -hmm. choke the life out of him and that's what the fuck we saw and the coach was (laughs) able to get that out of him and said the right thing at the right time Mm -hmm. and Julian came out there and and it was the comeback fight we needed. It was dope and a great way to start the card. Fuck that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, 100%. You know, one thing I think that needs to be noted and, and really, really mm-hmm. uh, given volume. Did you notice the quality yes. of filming in terms of cinematography and photography? It was almost as though you're watching a movie. The way that they actually blurred yes. out the background yes. using depth of field. It's like amazing. movies and cinematography. Yes, exactly. You took cinematic. the word right out my mouth. It, it just like felt like it was a film. It made the the fighting more intense. Yeah. It made the build up intense. It made me just focus on things that I normally didn't focus on, and I loved it. But we also need to discuss the the fact that a lot of these people got on the mic last night, Mike, and they got fucking crazy. What was up with yeah. Julian? Kind of, mm, I didn't mm. like his post fight speech. Like I think I got up and made a snack. Like this, him trying to get this whole hashtag going during a <laughs> pandemic who's the loudest crowd during a global pandemic hashtag your ta- boy if you don't shut up and talk yeah. about the fight you just won and this comeback that you this incredible even joe rogan was like okay that's cool fuck that you just won let's talk about that and i was like thank you joe that shit was corny yeah. and was he paid for that it was th- yo quiet is kept Everybody last night maybe dropped acid or did drugs and just talked crazy on the mic from Joe Rogan to DC to this dude to you know everybody mm. remember the the, mm. the 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 meme the homeless guy meme everything was just so weird last night Mike so I'm glad they cut his mic and and Joe made him talk about his win but incredible comeback and I loved it You know that's why I was I was quite amazed when you said that you really enjoyed the main card because the next three Ricky Simon and Brian Kelleher and Calvin Gastelum and Ian Heinish and Macy Barber and Alexi Grasso I was half asleep I, I, I mean this this wasn't actually watched at three and four o'clock in the morning I actually got up and uh, was watching this with a mm. full cup of coffee and I thought why is it that this isn't really doing anything for me? Why aren't any of these fights igniting my interest? Why aren't I getting into this? And it, that, for me, they were just okay. Out of those three fights, okay, you will have more <laughs> to say about them than I because that's about the sum total of my recollection when I watched that this morning. It was aye, like, aye. Mm, meh. Don't get me wrong. I I, I take mm-hmm. on board that these athletes they train day in day out, and this is the sum total of that preparation of that training. But it didn't entertain. It didn't actually enthrall me. It didn't actually make me think. Yeah, now that was a scrap. That was a tear up. It you know was just what it is okay. for me. I don't feel the way that you feel mm. because mm. with the next three fights that are we're going to discuss or whatever we're discussing right now, there were like really good to me breakout performances like Ricky Simon versus Brian Kelliger. Ricky Simon looked the best we've ever seen him and I enjoyed his performance, Mike, even though maybe the fight wasn't that much fun. Yeah, but it, you it, know, but I loved exactly, his performance. I mean, exactly. Mike, how, how, okay. how are you not mad at, like, uh, he left no room for error. He was a step ahead of, of Brian Kelliger the whole yeah, time. Yeah. He mixed things up. The level changing mm. was beautiful. 
beautiful. And yet another fighter that weaponized his cardio. And then it left Brian with what? Nothing, nothing. Brian had nothing for him except a funky little upkick that landed sometimes. That's he, he yeah. shut that man mm-hmm. down. And I also picked Ricky to win. So I was kind of like, yes. But I liked the Ricky Simon performance, <laughs> but not a fun fight. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I mean, similarly, I suppose, you know, that is a really, really succinct way of actually summing up my feeling on it. You're right. These fights weren't fun fights, but individually, when you broke down their individual components, you're you're spot on. The career best for some of them. Yeah, as an overall fight. Yes, like entertainment. It it wasn't really any momentum changes in the Kevin Gastelum, you know, excuse me, in the um, Ricky Simon versus Brian Kelliger fight. You know what I'm saying? Like there there was no momentum changes. Mm. Ricky was in control the whole time and Brian could only throw up his little leg. That's it. So I think you have to be somewhat of a purist or maybe a wrestler or a Ricky Simon fan to really get into that one. But his improvements were stellar. What did you think of Kelvin Gastelum, Ian Heinish? Nothing, huh? Yeah. Again, again, the the same vibe, the same, none of these, as I say, in in terms of uh, the three which led up to, or led away from Mackie Patolo and um, Julian Marquez and led into the main event. It didn't really float my boat. None of them made me think, woo, yeah, I'm really entertained here. I'm really, I'm I'm feeling as though these people are putting on a, a career performance in terms of, um, what I'd seen previously because I suppose well there's two things one I wasn't looking at it from an individual mm-hmm. um, performance as mm-hmm. you just rightly said there I was looking at it from a yeah, this is a fun fight am I being entertained yeah. here and yeah. I wasn't yeah I hear you I yes hear you. Yes. but it's like I don't know I had to look at it this way because it's like Kelvin Gastelum is fighting Ian Heinish like yes Ian's good yes he had a fight mm. with um, an interesting fight with Derek Brunson but he's not doesn't have star power who's the star of this yeah. fight Kevin Gastelum and also Kevin's back is against the wall mm. he hasn't been performing to that elite level that he convinced us he was when he fought Izzy so I was dialed in on this fight because I'm just like this is almost gatekeeper style fight time for Kelvin like he used to be the up-and-comer guy chasing people. Now Ian Heinish is on his ass. So what does he have to do? He pulls on a veteran performance and reminds us that, one, he's a good wrestler. And, two, that he's smarter now. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he, 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 I feel like this was a test for Kelvin, and he passed it, and he, and he told Ian to get in the back of the line. You're not getting past me. Plus, I love the flying knees Ian Heinish threw, which in Kelvin ate, because we never talk about his chin, which is so tough. He ate two flying knees took the guy down True. by the waist and threw him to the ground and controlled the fight. That was impressive to me, and I loved his performance. So I don't know. You have to look at it differently. I looked at it as an in, I want to see what Kelvin Gastelum can do here in this fight against Ian, and he satisfied my thirst for that. He did well. So how about Macy Barber and Alexa Grasso then? Oh, Lord. I, you know, right before this fight started, I called it. I said I was thinking, Mike, I was reflecting in my couch, and I said, yo, Alexa's going to get her. One, I think Alexa is the better fighter. Mm. And two, Alexa is the more active fighter. Like, while Macy was, like, rehabilitating her knee and shit from, you know, um, Roxy beating that ass, yes, she was home and it was good for her to kind of rehabilitate and take a break from fighting. But Alexa was improving, fighting fucking Carla Esparza, losing but learning in that fight. Fucking fighting a whole... Who else did she fight? I I don't have it up in front of me, but she's been pretty active. Oh, she fought Carolina... um, 
Kavich. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's been fighting all year mm. and getting better and better. Macy's been on her ass. And Macy is just really tough and has a lot of power, but I thought Alexa was the better fighter. And my God damn it, that's what we saw, yo. You know, like, Alexa kept, kept her on the outside, and then when they clinched up, she was the better clinch fighter, which surprised me because Macy's a fucking brute. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised that, like, you know, Alexa was the stronger fighter in the clinch. God damn, you've been learning a little something here, girl. Like, it was dope to see. But again, Mike, was it a very exciting fight? Yes. Not really. <laughs> nah. Yeah, like, I feel you on this. But, Mike, did you appreciate the third round when fucking um, Macy was like, you know, I'm losing. I'm about to go berserk on this bitch. Yeah. Threw her down to the yeah. ground. Tried to box her up. Hit her with a hard, like, fucking, like, hook, I believe. That third round was pretty cool, though. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a lot of investment than to wait until the third, <laughs> third round to get some payoff. It's like, come on, guys. I mean, speaking of investment, yeah. Kamaru Usman and uh, Gilbert Burns. Again, I watched this um, at, what, 8 o'clock in the morning. So... I, I was fresh-faced and ready for this. And really and truly, this is what I'm talking about. Look at Kamaru Usman coming out, getting dropped, getting almost... Momentum changes, baby. Yes. Well, to an extent where he was rocked. The way Burns came but, out. But then coming back against Gilbert Burns, coming yes. back, adjusting his game in line and in round adjustments and just taking it to him. And then, you know, finding yeah. his feet, obviously in uh, round three. And, um, you know, that jab, just that finishing jab, the jab was yeah. a thing of beauty. Now that, that floored um, Burns a couple of times, but to see that being pumped out by somebody who is highly regarded as a wrestler, come on, yeah, there was yeah. nothing to hate on this. This is what I'm talking about in terms of entertainment, in terms of beguiling me, in terms of intriguing me. This is the personification of what I was talking about that was missing yeah. from the others. Yeah. It was just yeah. superb. I really, really enjoyed this. Absolutely amazing. Oh, this and again, the camera work Ooh. came into play here. This is where... Preach, brother, preach. This is where I got really, really intensely like um, into this. You could feel the emotion. You could hear Gilbert yes, Burns crying. the pressure, the intensity. Crying yes. on his trainer's shoulder. Yes. And then, you know, you got Kamaru Usman, just the camera was trained on him and he's looking and he can yes. feel what it's like. It was just And you can hear all this. Amazing. I could hear him yes. sobbing. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Cinematic. This, that was, was like a film. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, like, basically the main event was like a really good episode of like Days of Our Lives. Yes. There was just like so many momentum changes and just like, you know, it was just crazy. It was it was just drama, athleticism. I mean, Mike, from from the jump, when Dame, when uh, fucking Burns came out and came straight at mm. him, and you could tell initially the game plan was you are superior in striking. Take his head off. I love yeah. it. And I think that was the right thing to do. However, Burns' camp was not ready for Usman to kind of <laughs> be mentally tough. I Let me tell you something. I got a little sick of the whole Usman is mentally tough. I watched the UFC Embedded's. I watched, you know, the countdown, and the theme was tough, tough, tough. He's mentally tough. Then DC comes on the mic, tough, tough, tough. By the time they fought, I was sick of the mental fortitude. <laughs> but then I understood the mental fortitude when Burns was hitting him over and over again with a, like an overhand right, and Usman just was calm. He ate them. He was in trouble. Yeah. He fell, but he got up, and then he comes out round two, and he starts hitting him with a jab from both 
angles mm. from southpaw and a traditional sense. Yep. Burns was not ready for that. It flustered him. He was like, what the fuck, a jab from the left? What the fuck, a jab from the right? And he kept hitting the ground, and it was over from there, and Usman exploited the fact that he was just, you know what? You might hit hard and you're faster than me, but I'm the better technical boxer, and I have an effective jab from both stances, and he won that motherfucking fight with the mental fortitude that I was sick of hearing about and with just classic-ass boxing. What a fight. Yeah. My God, if you don't respect Usman now, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe you just racist, maybe you just a piece of shit, but I no longer want to hear that this man is boring and that he's not one of the greats. This is ridiculous, yeah, man. With you, 100%. I mean, I didn't even think he was going to win this way. I thought he was going to put that man against the cage, yeah. throw him on the yeah. ground, pick him up, throw him on the ground, pick him up. Throw him on the ground. What did he do? He outboxed mm. him, got dropped, came back and said, nah, motherfucker, and just beat him yeah. up. Come on, man. Come on, man. And speaking of which. I don't want to hear nothing. In terms of giving the man ahead, his Mike. flowers, who yep. do you give him next? I mean, Dana was talking about the fact that um, Chimaev is out of the um, Leon Edwards fight. Now, mm -hmm. Leon Edwards, by rights, should get next, but he is going to be given... Um, possibly Colby Covington. Do you think that's the right matchup to make and the winner then should actually face uh, Usman? Yes, believe it or not. I, I can go either way. Mm. I can sell you on why um, Leon should fight right now for the title. Yes. Because why? He has so many wins in a row that it just, he is the rifle contender. The issue is recency bias. We've discussed this before. Mm. The last time that motherfucker fought was too long ago for fans, <laughs> the, the company, and Dana, and for me and you, Mike. Admit it. He has not now. fought in so Thank you. He's going on a decade. He hasn't fought. We get, we love the win streak, Leon, but we need one more reason as to why to remind us why you're so great. Yeah. And just do it one more time for us. Let Usman take a little vacation, hang out with his baby girl, rehabilitate after that war, and let fucking Colby and Leon fight. It's going to be a fun fight, and either one is deserving to face Usman again, and both fights are going to be fun. We don't know what... Now that Usman is, like, not picking up people and just slamming them like he wants to box, mm. we don't know who's going to show up when he fights Leon or Colby yep. again. We don't know what's going to happen, <clears throat> but let him fight. I hated the Masvidal call-out, but I get it. I get it. It's about money. If he fights Masvidal again, he gets to shut up his nemesis that just won't shut the fuck up, and... And he gets paid. Masvidal is a needle mover. He gets paid. Yeah, 100%. So I get it, but I hated it. I hate it. What do you think, Mike? Well, you liked it or not? I, I love it because, let's face it, look, it's been an age since... I don't want to say it. it well, it's been an age since Leon Edwards has been in the cage, but he deserves a warm-up. He deserves some way of actually re-establishing himself back in the octagon, and I really do believe that right. Colby Covington is that guy. He's got the narrative there as you, well with the whole you but, know, MAGA situation which he's going into. He but let me interrupt real quick. him let, as well. Let, let me interrupt real quick. You want, but my question, Mike, though, I'm, I know me and you agree on the Leon thing. Mm. I know you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We both know he need a little tune-up fight yeah. to remind us of the greatness. And also, if you give it to him, we understand, too. I get you. We, we, we feel each other on mm. that. How do you feel about the Masvidal call-out and if they were to fight again? That's what I'm whining about. Like, I don't like that. No, nah, I hate that. You want to see that again? I can't stand Thank the you. fact that um, the cowards who actually manage 
um, Masvidal. I try to manoeuvre him back into that uh, title shot. I, I admire, and I think they should be commended on working overtime, doing their jobs, but that is what that is about. I personally don't yeah. see any merit in actually running that back again. It's not as though... It's for money. Exactly. Usman wants to get paid well, and to shut his mouth up. It's personal and he wants to prove a point and he wants to get paid. You, with Masvidal and him, it sells for some reason. You give Masvidal a whole camp and you sell him on the fact that he's going to be better prepared, his little stands and people that hate him are going to sign up to see At- Usman smush him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, do, so I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling in a big I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Masvidal takes a Nate fight and then wants to fight Usman with the full camp or some shit. Like, Masvidal is sneaky and in charge of his career. Mm. So I doubt he does this. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? That is exactly what I'm saying. And I think, you know, shouts out, yeah. shout out to um, Kamaru Usman for... Um, well, solidifying what this month is about and uh, happy Black History Month. Yeah, he, he certainly put that black power on that ass. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, <laughs> okay. just before you go, I wouldn't mind segueing into uh, what you thought of Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, have a little bit of a, a, a deep dive into it. Um, for those who are listening, Judas and the Black Messiah is the new film out directed by Shaka King. It takes a deeper look into the historical figure um, that I personally didn't learn about at school, and that was Fred Hampton. He's the chairman of the Illinois, well, he was chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Now, he's depicted in this two-hour-long uh, run into um, his life in terms of a snapshot into his life. And I just wonder what you thought of it. You saw it uh, a few days back, and um, I watched it twice myself. But what did you think? Oh, I watched it twice, too. In fact, I watched it this morning oh, wow. because it was such a good film. I, I love the performances um, by the by the actors. I love the performance by, you know, I, I'm not good with names, but the actor that played Fred Hampton and also the actor that played William O'Neill. Just stunning performances. Loved it. Daniel Kaluuya plays but I, um, Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield um, plays William O'Neill. Exactly. I thought their performances were just unbelievable. Mm. And what this film did for me was just open up my thirst to learn more about Fred Hampton. Because I think it's interesting that you were like, oh, I didn't learn about these people in school. Um, African Americans don't learn about these people in school either. You know That's what I'm saying? So although, yes, although this is African American history, I will admit to you that the only time that the first time I ever heard of Fred Hampton and, you know, the Rainbow Coalition and all, and all the things that he's done and, and then the Free People program and the Feeding of the Children, of the, the Breakfast program, was when I attended a black university, Mike, oh. Howard University, many years wow. ago. This is when I started to learn about people like Fred. This is not just offered in, you know, standard American education, unfortunately. This is, this is kind of whitewashed. So... I was thrilled to see this uh, movie come to fruition, and it just opened up my thirst to kind of learn more about Fred. But I will say this, the reason why I'm so high up on these actors is because like, they acted just like Fred. Like if you look yeah. at old YouTube footage yeah. and stuff, it was it was him, mm. rather, from like the, the Southern twang to the things that he was saying, and also- The cadences, just like how, the delivery, yeah, the cadences, the energy, yes, the delivery, right. the energy, everything from how he looked. And, and just, oh man, it was amazing. And I do wish the film could have focused more on some character development as far as his, the love of his life, you know, played, you know, Deborah Johnson, 
you know what I'm saying? Like I wanted more about her yeah. and I wanted more about the snitch. I wanted more about William O'Neill, like what drove him to that mm. and what happened in the end with him. And I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but it's just, I wanted so much more from this movie, but I'm glad it just opened up my, the doors for folks to kind of study Fred and to, and to learn more about him because this movie just didn't do it justice. There's so much more. You know, you're absolutely right, and you know it's, it's it's interesting you touched upon those two points because that was my major gripe in terms of flaws. A lot of people mm-hmm. talk about the struggle, but it's always from a male point of view. This is what the yes. men did. So Dominic Fishback, um, I personally feel as though her on-screen role was fleeting, but when you did see her on screen, you could see the significance and the, the, the backbone of that sort of like union. You could see that she was the rock in it, but yet she had like one or two lines and her kind of like um, yes. performance was stunning, but we didn't see too much of it. And I just think that this maybe is something that, you know, male directors um, are really guilty of in terms of when we do see our heroes on screen, it does seem to be from a male perspective, from a male perspective heavy. Right. In terms of percentages, it's almost almost guaranteed that you're going to get 90% male. No, I'd even go as far as to say 95% male in terms of narrative and 5% female. But it's, it's, it's criminal, I think, um, that the role of black women in the struggle is so severely overlooked and this was an opportunity to rectify this and it wasn't done and I think they did have the range for this they also had the time this was like past two hours when when uh, this film finished yeah. it definitely had the time they had the time to develop her character they had definitely the time to give us more in terms of insight on um, mm-hmm. Lakeith Stanfield's um, uh, character William O'Neill and I just feel as though as a whole Okay, maybe I'm nitpicking here, but as a whole, it was slightly jarring to have that missed out because it was an important and integral part. When you look at the title, Judas and the Black Messiah, where was Judas? You saw a lot of the Black Messiah, and as as you rightly say, look, the performance was mesmerizing, spellbinding. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just chilling to see how similar in terms of um, delivery both... Um, Lakeith Stanfield, sorry, um, both um, 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 Daniel Kaluuya. Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, in in the way that he delivered um, and the way that Lakeith Stanfield delivered as well. It was very similar to um, how the real life characters actually played out. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, um, Daniel Kaluuya does pick up a best supporting actor for this. But Oh, he should. But Absolutely. I, I'm making it sound as though I have a lot in terms of gripes about this film. There is a lot in terms of merit to say about it. And the first thing, or the last thing I would say about this, it gets my four stars out of five. What does it get for you? Oh, four stars out of five. But real quick, I just like, I love this um, conversation about how the perspective of the African-American woman, the woman on his side, and also someone that probably played a huge pivotal role in these programs. She didn't just clap and just, you know, like support him. She played a role in the social programs that were brought about 
by Fred Hampton, and that's not really divulged in the, in the movie, but I understand there are time restraints. However, for me, when it came to the Rainbow Coalition, like when it comes to the part of the movie when Fred Hampton is like, you know, he's networking with different people, white people, um, Hispanic gangs, basically all people victims of police brutality yeah. and also of poverty and, and things like that. What I wanted the director or whoever wrote this film to include was the American Indian movement. Fred also reached out to Native Americans. Oh, wow. and I find I that a that. lot of a Native American, yes, it was called the American Indian movement. Right. Fred Hampton also, so I feel like in the movie they should have had someone from a Native American, you know, representing that movement, the American Indian movement, because he reached out to them too. Okay. And that's also a form of whitewashing. I feel like when you watch this film, you're shocked to see Fred reach out to that, you know, almost racist, impoverished white yeah. group, and he wins them over. But let's not forget that Fred, the voices of the indigenous and the Native Americans were a part of this, and they also are left out in films mm. and documentaries about, you know, civil rights movements and they were a part of it fred reached out to them too and they should have been sitting at the table when they did that you know rainbow coalition when they when they covered that aspect of the film so i want to see more of native voices too because they went through they, you know they were mike those people were wiped out they're a part of the story too yeah. fred reached out to them put them in the movie wow. give them a voice well i learned something today i did not know that you see i went and did some yes, um, background um checking in terms of like fred hampton but it was mostly video footage in terms of his speeches i didn't know that that's absolutely fascinating yeah because the group that you saw him with when he was standing there with like the um what was it the is it the young lords the hispanic gangs yeah. that were discussing police brutality yeah. and then there was like a, a i'm like a you know, like a Caucasian group, there was a white group as well that yep. was standing with him. Mm. There should have been somebody from the Native population, from uh, the American Indian movement that was a part of the Rainbow Coalition that he had put together. I don't like when they leave out little nuances like that. And I, it tends to be voices of Native Americans mm. and indigenous people. And I think it's wrong to do that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know? the final thing so. I would say, I, I, again, it does sound as though I'm harping on about things which were negative. Right, both but, of us. <laughs> um, I have to keep emphasizing this is a very positive film. I think everybody should see yes. it. It is a history lesson in itself for those people yes. like myself who grew up in, a, well, in the UK where, you know, you have black history um, taught to you mm -hmm. but it's either through the lens of well this is what it was like to be a slave or Martin right. Luther King and um, his all inclusiveness right. and we shall overcome mentality now the yeah. last thing I was going to say in terms of what I have as an issue um, with it is the music given that this was in the 60s and 70s in terms of the period that was covered I was a little bit surprised by the mutedness or the, the muted nature of the music that was used in the film we have a rich history in terms of music for that yeah. particular age and that's one of my favorite ages in terms of um, music and music culture the 60s and 70s rich but you didn't get that sense right. actually in the compare movie. compare that soundtrack to dead president there you go why didn't we get Boom. that why didn't we get yes. that that, that. And that was the same era. Yeah. Why didn't we get that yep. type of music? Yep. And I and I will admit to you that I let the music play at the credits, and I liked the song at the end, but it was a bit modern. And yeah. I was just like, where is like the Dead President Thank soundtrack you. with this bad boy? Mm. But you bring up a good point, but the film is still, still very powerful. Indeed. And one last thing that I want to discuss with uh. you real quick is that the parallels of the racism of back then still apply to what we saw you know, in America with Trump, meaning like, 
in the movie you see that there's a theme of you know if we don't do something about this they're gonna rape us they're gonna move into our neighborhoods mm. they're gonna do this mm. they're gonna do that and that was back in the day yeah. during the civil rights movement with Edgar Hoover and that's why he thought they were a threat meaning the Black Panthers and Fred mm -hmm. but meanwhile on the inside of that, you can see there's polar opposites. Fred is disarming his friends that have guns and whatnot. He's actually just, you know, networking. He's not really a violent guy. But then the parallels to the to to racism and how it applies to today is did not did Trump not run on the same platform as Edgar Hoover that Mexico was going to send their best rapists? They're going to move into our neighborhoods. Yeah. It's just like black people are forever the boogeyman, and it's not true. You know what I'm saying? And I just thought that was so powerful that the same fear of the black man that existed with Edgar Hoover exists today. And Trump ran on that platform. Mm -hmm. Fear them, fear them, fear them. Rapists, rapists, rapists. We got to do something about them. Meanwhile, it's convoluted. It's lies. It's just fear mongering. And it's still going on. It went, it went on back then with Fred. And it's still going on in 20, 2021. It's Everyone needs to see this film, Mike, like you said. 100% totally agree. And yeah. um, for you guys, you're really lucky that you can actually see it on um, HBO Max. It's going to be released in the UK on the 26th of February. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. I watched it right in this living room on the wow. Max. You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Wow. And the night it dropped. Yeah. Like it was a movie, you know, like I was movie night, you know. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well. That was an interesting canter through lifestyle issues and fights. I love this episode. And, right? Um, <laughs> I think we should do more of these, definitely. Yeah. We did the damn thing, Mike. Let's watch more movies and talk about MMA. Yeah. Let's oh, do that. 100%. <laughs> okay. That about wraps up this episode of The Wocast. As usual, you can contact us via Twitter. I'm at MikeWoTV. How can people get in touch with you, G? Just Gina MMA. I'm on my best behavior. Follow me and let's talk about MMA. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, we'll be back uh, for the midweek edition of our Roundtable Talks with Kairos and Chisanga joining us for Shots Fired. Okay, until then, be good. Shots fired. Shots fired.